0: Don't forget that next week we go back to one service for the summer. Our assembly will begin at 10:10. Not too hard to remember. Okay? 10:10 for one service for the summer. So please be ready for that next week. Also, look inside your bulletins and you'll see in the middle panel reference to some things that you can do to grow namely on Wednesday nights we had a great Wednesday evening it started uh, this last week with three things going on you can read about those in the bulletin and i really encourage you to be part of this on Wednesday nights this summer i think you'll really be blessed and enjoy that those who were in the NT right class i think were richly blessed by what was going on there and the jam session and then the those uh, the session that Darcy and Hope are leading for those who are a bit newer to the faith and i think it's all a blessing and please Uh, Take advantage of that if you'd like to. A couple other things. One is I wanted to mention that, you know, we have these lunches that go on on Wednesdays at noon here for those who are homeless and with whom we've been building relationship. One of those guys, his name is John, and John is from Portugal. And recently, through a series of events uh, largely having to do with his family, John decided that he was going to go into rehab and so he did. He went through a detox period, and now he's in rehab. And this week, we were able to actually take him a card, Hope delivered a card to him at rehab. And just it was from the staff, and we just said, Hi, you know, glad you're doing well. We gave him some scriptures to read and that kind of stuff. And she just said he, he looked so good and is doing so well. And so what I want is for you to make sure this week that you're praying for John. Okay? Would you just do that? In your time of prayer, would you please remember John this week? And I think uh, John's going to receive the blessing of God as we pray for him. And the Spirit will go and minister to him in significant ways. So please r- remember to pray for John. And then we've had two uh, things that have gone on in the last little while here with uh, parents of some of our members. Linda Asen's father has had a stroke. It's, uh, it's not one that's gone easily. And I don't know the current status of that. Um, uh, Maybe we can send out an email this week and give you some status on Linda's dad. But he's having a pretty rough time after his stroke. And so we want to be keeping the Asin family and uh, Linda's dad's family in our prayers for sure. And then I wanted to mention that Shane Lopez lost his father a few days ago. Uh, Just a few days ago, Shane's dad died in Malaysia. And Shane and uh, Sagan have at this time decided not uh, to go back to Malaysia yet. They have a a trip planned, and they're going to go ahead and go a little bit later. Uh, But please be praying for Shane and his family with the loss of his father. His father was a Christian, and that's good to know. And we're grateful that he has the blessing of knowing the Lord. Uh, But it's going to be hard for all those who are concerned. So please be remembering Shane and his family. All right, I would love it if you would turn in your Bibles to John 14, which I think is on page 764 in the Pew Bibles, and we're going to get there in just a little while. Set that aside if you would, but, but turn there, turn to John 14, because we are going to read something from there in just a little while. Today is, of course, Father's Day. And the worship planning team, as we were sitting around talking about this particular day and the sermon that was coming up, where we we get together as a group and we talk about the sermon and what's going to happen, and are there anything special that we want to do during uh, the the sermon to, to fit with the theme, we started just reflecting on the fact that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, had kind of made it so that Father's Day came at a time when we were talking specifically about the smooth stone... And that's our current series, Five Smooth Stones, about getting to know our Heavenly Father better. And we thought it was pretty cool that God had worked it out so that in talking about getting to know our Heavenly Father better, that we're doing that specifically on Father's Day. The Holy Spirit sometimes works in things. And it could be that He's part of what we're doing this morning. And of course, He is part of what we're doing this morning and working toward our spiritual growth. Now, the fact is, too, that some of the things I'm going to say, especially toward the end of the service today, are going to be a bit of a challenge in terms of this specific topic. Not all Christians receive or need all teachings equally. And here's what I mean when I say that. Corresponding... To the types of people and personalities that there are, there are different levels of difficulty people have in living out the various central tenets of the Christian faith and the teachings of Jesus. Now that's kind of wordy. Sometimes I'm like that. But all that really means is different strokes for different folks. Things are different according to who you are. For example... Someone who naturally loves beautiful things, or who has been blessed financially, might have a more difficult time with materialism or with making financial sacrifices for the Lord. Okay? Let me just say that again, just so you can understand where i'm going with these i'm going to read several someone who naturally loves beautiful things or who has blessed has been blessed financially might have a more difficult time with materialism or with making financial sacrifices for the lord i think that might be the case someone who loves the attention of others or someone who is more physically attractive than others may struggle more with humility and with vanity I think that's a good possibility someone who is unusually self-centered is going to have a struggle with Christian service and sacrifice it's hard to get away from looking at yourself and look at others someone who is more shall we say sexually interested might have more trouble being pure ...than someone naturally less sexually interested. I think that's a possibility. Someone who loves food more than others may be inclined to gluttony. For others it might be easier. Someone who loves to be right about everything... ...is likely to be more quarrelsome. That makes some sense to me. For some personalities it's more difficult to be joy-filled... ...or to be at peace... And less filled with anxiety about things, even though joy and peace are supposed to be evidence in us of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, it's very possible that you had the names of some people flash through your mind as I read that list. It's a possibility that you may even thought, yeah, Kelly's talking about me. This example hits me right between the eyes. And that one may be tougher for me than it is for my sister or my wife or my brother or my best friend. We are different people and we struggle with different things at different levels. And so some people struggle with intimacy with God, therefore, I would say, more than other people do. Even though intimacy with God is one of the central tenets. Of the Christian faith now I don 't know if that's how it is with you. Some people I think, do wrestle with exactly who God is. Uh, Dustin mentioned a few moments ago about the notion that we have different perspectives on fathers, and sometimes I think that how we think of our Father or the kind of relationship we have that we have with our Father does make it either, even either more difficult or easier to have a relationship with God because of who the Father is, or our father, I should say. Can I relate well with God because I had a great father, or can I not because I didn't? And sometimes that's the case. Well, before I say any more in terms of the intimacy about God this morning, let me point out something about Christianity in general. Uh, and, and, And again, it's different strokes for different folks. Historically, the early church and the writings of the New Testament Tended to focus on persecution more than I personally need it right now in my faith. Wouldn't you say that's the case with you? Like when you read 1 Peter and all the stuff about persecution, or you read Paul and he's talking a lot about persecution, it is true that people are being killed all over the world for Christ. Right? But do you personally have to really wrestle with persecution? Probably not. Most of us don't really have to wrestle with that. And so sometimes the focus on the Christian faith can be a little bit different depending on your circumstances. Those who lived during the bubonic plague, I'm convinced, were thinking a lot more about heaven than I do. When everybody around you is sick and they're dropping dead and you're losing maybe huge segments of your family, you're all of a sudden really interested in whether or not your family members are going to heaven. When that may not necessarily be the thing that we're really concerned about first and foremost. Right now, I would say that in Christianity, there's a bit of a tension between those who center their faith on the hope of eternal life And those who center their faith on what God is doing down here on the earth. And so we saw last week a video. Jacob Hansen, you were a star in that video. Jacob had a role to play where he acted as though he was, and in fact is, the young person who thinks of the faith a certain way and is really concerned perhaps about social justice issues. But then we saw Elsie Harrington talk about the loss of her daughter which, of course, she has just gone through. And it was a real concern. And I can imagine that Elsie is thinking about heaven and about what that means for her daughter and for the rest of her family. So as we get back to the notion of the intimacy with God, if eternal life in heaven with God and the personal forgiveness we see with God is just one place of emphasis for us, and if social justice issues are another kind of emphasis for us, I wonder then about the notion of intimacy with God for each of us. And in fact, there is a word for this It often is described as the contemplative life. Let me read something from John Elridge and Brent Curtis. Some of you have read the book, The Sacred Romance. Let me read what they say. The scriptures employed a wide scale of metaphors to capture the many facets of our relationship with God. If you consider them in a sort of ascending order, there's a noticeable and breathtaking progression. Down near the bottom of the totem pole, we are the clay, and he is the potter. Moving up a notch, we are the sheep, and he is the shepherd, which is a little better position on the food chain, but hardly flattering. Sheep don't have a reputation as the most graceful and intelligent creatures in the world. Moving upward, we are the servants of the master, which at least lets us into the house, even if we have to wipe our feet, watch our manners, and not talk too much. Most Christians never get past this point, but the ladder of metaphors is about to make a swift ascent. God also calls us his children and himself our Heavenly Father, which brings us into the possibility of real intimacy. Love is not one of the things that a vase or a craftsman share together, nor does a sheep truly know the heart of the shepherd, though it may enjoy the fruits of his kindness. Still, there is something missing even in the best parent-child relationship. Friendship levels the playing field in a way family never can, at least not until the kids have grown and left the house. Friendship opens a level of communion that a five year old doesn't know with his mother and his father, and friends are what he calls us. But there is still a deeper and higher level of intimacy and a partnership awaiting us at the top of this metaphorical ascent. We are God's lovers. And he is ours. The courtship that began with a honeymoon in the garden. Culminates in the wedding feast of the lamb. I will take delight in you. He says. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. So will I rejoice over you. So that we might say in return. I am my beloved's. And his desire is for me. I don't know if you feel that way this morning about God. Like, is your relationship with God such that you say to yourself, I am my beloved's, and he is mine. I'm convinced that God wants, yes, eternal life, and he wants us to be active here, but in addition to those things, in addition to social and political equality and social justice, that God also wants a personal relationship with each one of us in a way that goes much deeper than we often think about. And so look at these words from the Apostle Paul. Paul says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? Why? so that you may know Him better. That's what He wants for us. And yes, He wants eternal life for us, but what He wants is for us to be in in this eternal relationship with Him that He calls life. And He wants us to do things down here where we serve Him, but what He wants us to do is to serve Him in relationship with Him. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What a great quote. He's calling here for a special kind of relationship that should shape and mold us and make us different. And this sounds so much like intimacy to me. God wants intimate relationship with his people. Look at another quotation from Ephesians. And he's talked here about those who are in the church who are going to serve them and gifted with different roles and different gifts. And he he tells why this is the case. It's to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and what? In the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He wants us to be one with Jesus. He wants us to be like Jesus. He wants to equip us to have that kind of relationship with Jesus. Knowledge of the Son of God and attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ sounds to me like intimacy, like relationship, like oneness. And this is so much more than just casual acquaintance. This is not like, I kind of know God. I kind of know Jesus. Well, he saved me and now I'm going to heaven. This is a lot more like Abba, Father. Where the Spirit fills us and gives us relationship with him. Look at these words from John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. gives a completely different idea about what eternal life might be. We look toward forgiveness of sins and eternal life, but what does that mean? And in this case, it means eternal life with God. And then look at these words from Philippians chapter 3. What is more, Paul says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that they may gain Christ. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so Paul's longing for relationship and closeness with God. And clearly God is relational here. He wants relationship with us. He created us for relationship. You know, it's interesting, in the very beginning in the garden, God creates so that we might be in relationship with him. And then humankind sins. Adam and Eve, they commit the sin. And then what happens? Do you remember? They sin, and then they go and cover themselves. And they hide And God goes walking through the garden. Where are you? Adam? Adam? Eve? Where are you? Where did you go? And I think he knows. But relationship has been broken. And the story of Israel really is nothing more than God trying to be in relationship with those whom he loves and they just keep breaking the relationship until finally he sends his son. It sounds like a parable that Jesus tells. Finally, the son is sent to try and do something with this relationship because humankind has not been able to honor in any way the relationship that God seeks with them. So now... Look at John chapter 14. They're having this conversation. Jesus says he's going to leave. Philip asks, Where in the world are you going? Look at verse 9. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? That's a telling question. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the words themselves. And what strikes me here is the incredible intimacy between Father and Son. Don't you know me, Philip, he says. You should know me. You've watched me now. You know that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Don't you believe this, Philip, that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? And of course, as that question is raised, the question of our own relationship with him, our own knowledge of him, is also raised. And so look across at verse 20. On that day, he says, you will realize that I'm in my Father, and you are in me. And I am in you. And so the moment that we really get the relationship between God and his Son, all of a sudden, the relationship between ourselves and God starts to become clear. And it's, it's so obvious that Jesus is talking about something, a relationship where there's no separation, There is instead an indwelling where God is in me and I am in him. There's a certain closeness. There's relationality. God has relationship within himself with his son. It's just who he is to be relational. And now God wants relationship with us. And so since the time when Adam and Eve eat the fruit, God has been saying, where are you? And now Jesus comes and says, I found you. I am in you. And you are in me. And then flip over just a little bit to John chapter 17. And look at verse 20. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. Talking about the apostles. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as as you're you're in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Notice how the intimacy that we have with God... And the intimacy that God has with himself ends up with the world receiving the testimony about this intimacy. Verse 24, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you've sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Like, is there any more intimate expression of the relationship that we're supposed to have with God anywhere in the New Testament? He wants us to know him better. He wants us to know each other. So that right at the heart of God is relationship. Right at the heart of God is intimacy. Now, that's not easy. It takes some effort. It takes an open heart. It takes some vulnerability, just like God had in himself when he sends Jesus. But ultimately, we all need this, and ultimately, he sent himself to us for this purpose. Now again, there are some of you who have a harder time with intimacy than others. You've heard this expression. This has become an expression in counseling, you know. He has... Intimacy issues. That's what we say. People struggle with intimacy issues. Some of us are simply less relational than others. But God really does want us to overcome this part of who we are and to be relational because that's who he is. And so the fourth smooth stone for the morning is to be relational. Relational. It's a move toward relational living. And I simply want, especially those who wrestle with intimacy, to think about what it might mean for them to be a bit more relational. And you may think to yourself, well, that's just not me. I can't do this. But that's what God wants for us. He created us for this, and in some way, we need to open ourselves up and allow Him to reach into our hearts, and us to reach up into His heart, and for there to be that kind of intimacy with Him, first and foremost of all, with our Heavenly Fathers. And I think He gives us the ability to have that kind of relationship with Him. Now, Megger, would you come here, please? I want Meg to come up. We're going to finish this way. Come on up, girl. You look so pretty today. Doesn't she look beautiful today? She looks so nice. But she didn't know this was coming. Aren't you thrilled? Yes. <laughs> I've told the story before, but it just fits so well with Father's Day today and with a theme of our sermon. When Megan was... When we, when we first got her and brought her to Canada from Zambia, And she was two years old. Like, from the moment we met her in the airport, she absolutely loved Robin. She absolutely detested me. (laughs) And it was that way from the very first moment. It was so special. (laughs) Like, I can remember, like, after she had been with us for six months... We were having a day kind of like a showcase Sunday and Robin got up front to do something with the kids at the front of the auditorium with all the kids and I had to hold Megan. She screamed the whole time and the whole reason was because she had to be with me and and her mom wasn't there. Well, here's the thing. That relationship did not come easily at the beginning. There was not a lot of relationality with us from the very start. I tried really hard. She just would not give in. But finally, she did. And now, the fact is, is that my daughter and I are exceedingly close. We really do love each other, don't we? But it, not yet. But it took a while. But it took a while. And, I, and we, you know, we, have this, we have such a wonderful relationship. You know, the other day, this was, well, this was in the last couple of weeks, we were doing something at the house, and all of a sudden, Megan turned to her parents, and she said, you know, I think I have a way better relationship with my mom and dad than most young adults do. <laughs> you know, when I think about all that she and we have to overcome in order to make that happen, There are a lot of families in which adopted relationships just don't work that well. And with ours, it is so beautiful. It's so wonderful. And I think it's because somewhere we decided that this intimacy thing, we could get this right. And we have. And God wants that with all of us. And I think it's very, very possible. Now you can sit down. So give this a chance, brothers and sisters. Allow intimacy between yourselves and God to become real for you, and God is going to bless you in the process. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful that there is a day in which our society sets aside uh, their thoughts and their, uh, their concerns of other things and thinks for a few moments about fatherhood. And God, I'm so grateful that you are the father that you are to us and that you reach out to us and that you provide us with opportunities for intimacy, most specifically, God, with you. And so, Lord, help us to to achieve that. But but help us to achieve it because you've reached into our lives. You've made it possible through Jesus that we could have this kind of intimacy. We do want it. And so I pray, especially for those this morning for whom this is difficult, open their hearts, open their lives, their openness, Father, before you. We pray that you would come and meet that openness and something wonderful would build between you and And your children. We pray these things for Jesus. Amen.